0: Our passion didn't start with a mouth. It started with people, with the well-being of the profession. And if you're like me, maybe a little bit of your nerdiness and all things tech too. We all want to love what we do, but the truth is burnout, people problems, and glass ceilings can keep us from doing what we set out to do. So let's get back to the heart of connection. Welcome to The Dental Handoff. This show is about passing you the knowledge, the habits the systems and the strategies to lead your teams, lean on your tech, and listen to your gut while you take care of people and truly the overall health of our communities. Let's stop using the wrong end of the toothbrush, y'all. My name is Dr. Kelly Tanner. Oh, and uniquely, I'm a dental hygienist too. You can consider me a guru in the dental and leadership industry. With over three decades of experience, my goal is to take you to the next level by empowering growth, perspective, and confidence by identifying the gaps, recognizing the plaque, and extracting the truth with the other experts in the field. I'll share their stories, empower you to own yours, and elevate your passion in the process. So have a seat in the chair, put on your bib, and let's get to work. Hello, and welcome to The Dental Handoff. I am Dr. Kelly Tanner, and I am your hostess for today's Dental Handoff episode with the Tim Donnelly. Hi, Tim
1: how you doing today
0: i'm so good i i am such a big fan of yours and i don't know if i shared this with you before but i was i've like been following you for years not not in a stalkerish way but you know like because you're you're the science guy right we're all we all follow the science behind what it is that we're doing i think i saw you the first time at a Phillips sales conference or, or something like that. We were on stage. And I'm like, man, this guy is, this guy is brilliant. I, I need to know him. I want to plug into his brain. So it is such an honor to, and since then, of course, I've, you know, rubbed elbows with you at dinner and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I think I've made it because I actually have Tim Tim Donnelly on my my podcast. So thank you for being here.
1: No, you're so kind. (laughs) Call me every Monday morning and say those exact words to me.
0: (laughs) No, but seriously, it's just such an honor. And I love... That people and our listeners and our viewers can hear your story because I think it's so inspiring to hear where people have come from, where they started, because all of our journeys are so incredibly different. So tell us why dentistry, like why dentistry chose
1: you or you chose it. Well, I would probably have to say dentistry chose me. And uh, if in fact we're here to speak the truth, the truth is, I have no idea why I'm sitting here uh at this point in my life. I wish I had some inspirational story that said this was the moment that I decided dentistry was for me. Uh all I remember I was in college and unfortunately that was long enough ago where we definitely uh used computers, but they were the old punch cards. And I was a mechanical engineer major and I was in the computer lab. It was probably my second year. I was in the computer lab at midnight trying to get my stupid project to run. And you'd put these uh, punch cards in the machine and they'd run through. And if there was an error, it would throw the card out. And you'd have to redo the whole thing. And it got to about one o'clock, one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. And I made the life changing decision. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's not mechanical engineering. <laughs> and, you know, and as as. Uh, Short-sighted as I was at the time, I said, "I'm not spending the rest of my life with punch cards," uh, not realizing that that probably wouldn't be the way it goes. And decided it's time to do something else. And as I said, I don't know why it ended up in dentistry, but that was the moment where I said, no, "I got to do something else." And then I applied to dental school, and and I got accepted. And it was uh, actually after dental school. Uh, believe it or not, I went to a continuing education lecture, probably one of the first ones I had attended. And the uh, person that was speaking was a periodontist and was talking about these experiments that they were doing on the uh, uh, space shuttle and growth factors and uh mesenchymal cells and I thought oh man this is I came back from that lecture and I literally said to myself this this is what I'm doing and decided to uh uh go back to perio school as it were I actually practiced for 3 years as a general dentist mm-hmm. and then went back uh I did not get accepted my first year into the perio program uh, and I went to the director of the program once I realized I wasn't accepted. And I said, look, tell me, give me four things that I need to do to uh, make me a more attractive candidate. And he, you know, looking back, I think he was kind of taken aback at the moment. And he gave me four things, one of which was to publish something and, I did all four of those things in the process of publishing it. And again, not to date myself, but I sat there pecking on my typewriter, publishing this report. Uh, and it was the report was on, uh, I think it appeared in the Journal of the Academy of General Dentistry. Wow. And, and it was on the tendency for toothbrushes to harbor bacteria if they don't dry out overnight. And, uh, you know, I thought I had at that point pretty much saved the world. (laughs) You did, you did. And uh, that's when I really caught the bug. I I just love the science. I love deciphering the science down into clinically significant sound bites uh, and took off from there.
0: So mechanical engineer, I mean, so dentistry is sort of like Applied mechanical engineering.
1: It it is, uh, and the mechanics of it. But you know, interestingly enough, the mechanics of it don't thrill me. Mm. Uh, I do that. I I like with my implants having to design the mechanics of, you know, direction of force, location of the fixtures, uh, cantilevers, and all that type stuff. But I, 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 I've always been uh, driven by the fact that. Uh, the mouth is connected to the rest of the body. That's really what kind of keeps me going.
0: Yeah. Do you remember the other three things he told you other than publishing to make you the attractive candidate? It
1: it, it was publishing. It was to spend time with a periodontist, Mm -hmm. meaningful time in the office to find out what that life is like. uh, And no, I'd have to search for the other two.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I wasn't sure if it like stuck with you forever or, you know, you still think about it every day or something. <laughs> Sometimes that's true We're be- because some of those things that they, that you hear for a person that you go to for mentoring, they plant a seed for something else that usually ends up blossoming into a different direction. And it sounds like it did that for you with the, with the researching and immersing yourself. Do you, it sounds like you, I know, Tim, that, that you, you stay immersed in the research Would you like to, you know, do
1: this full time at some point in your life? Uh, My the the thing that gets me going, if I if I had the uh, ability to choose exactly what I wanted to do, yes, I would lock myself up uh, (laughs) on the top floor of a room that overlooks the ocean. And I'd have not only Internet access, but I'd have access to uh, a pubmed.gov Mm. And I would just spend all day uh, figuring out what the bottom line answer is to, you know, there's been so many things in dentistry that, and dentistry started with us being, you know, pulling carts from town to town and everyone had their own personal deep belief of of what they thought was right. And while we give lip service to the evidence-based approach, uh, we really haven't mastered that yet in dentistry. And you can look at, the material that's available and you can make definitive statements. You can refine your clinical judgment based on what the evidence says, as opposed to what we've all done in dentistry too often, which is what you deeply believe in. And that's what I like doing. I I like looking at that. One of the other hats I wear, I do some expert witness testimony. Mm. Uh, And I, I enjoy that also because it forces me and that, in in front of your peers, a jury of your peers, you know, you have to justify every single statement you make. And it's an interesting journey when you say, well, this is the way it is. And this is what I think what happened in this instance. And then when you go back to try and document to support your statement, uh, it's been pretty eye opening at times.
0: How did you get into being an expert witness? Like, how did you start that?
1: Uh, It actually was the the first case I did had to do with a patient who had uh, some systemic disease and had a mouthful of oral disease despite regular visits for 20 years. And, you know, we've always been um, uh, threatened in dentistry to the, the, the extent of our medical legal concern was Uh, making sure you have your charting because that's what they're going to look for. And it's, it's so much more than that. This, this was an instance where the legal system caught up to dentistry. And it was one of the first cases where they said, is there any potential that the ongoing disease in this patient's mouth, despite regular business, despite documentation, contributed to these systemic diseases. And it turned out, uh, it was, it was the largest dental verdict, uh, in, in the state at that time.
0: Whoa.
1: Uh, which was a woe statement for me. I mean, that was, uh, you know, it's emboldened, emboldened me even more to say at dentistry, we, we got to get our act together, man. You know, we're in the age of serious dental medicine. This is no longer clean them up the best you can. And, give them a really nice card to come back in six months.
0: Yeah. So you started this journey a while back, but you know, not too far back because we don't want to date ourselves. But in the infancy of your career, you discovered that this was something that was important, that oral systemic link. And would you agree, Tim, that like, I remember when I became a hygienist almost 30 years ago now, I had my own suspicions about this oral systemic link and it wasn't being talked about yet. And I'm going... I'm going to everybody in the office. There's something going on. I want to do evangelize. There is something going on. Like where, who's talking about this? Don't you guys see it? And you feel like you're the only person, you feel like you're crazy. Did you feel that same way?
1: Oh, I was crazy there with you. I I laugh at myself. Uh, It was 25 years ago. uh, I read a report that uh, gum disease might be linked to heart disease. And like, Not just a light bulb, like a significant symphony went off in my head. And I thought, oh, my God, like if I don't jump on this uh, train at this point, I'm going to miss the boat because this it was so crystal clear to me that this is dentistry's future. And I ran out and I put billboards up around my town that said gum disease can kill more than your smile. And underneath it, it said, got gum disease, see a dentist or hygienist and find out. And I did that. And and I didn't have the resources to do it 25 years ago. But I thought, like, if I don't do this now, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to be lost. And I laugh now because, you know, as in typical fashion with how slow science trickles down. And I found I was a little bit too early as opposed to being too late. And there's no question that the time has come now that that we are embracing the fact that we can have a profound effect on the rest of the body. Which, as a dental practitioner uh, who sometimes hasn't, you know, felt like I belonged on the uh, healthcare stage, that's really nice that we're there.
0: Yeah. And you feel like people are looking at you like you are like you are crazy. And then once the diabetes studies came out and then where all these other links, there's just so much that we don't even know yet. And what is your opinion on where we are in terms of knowing of knowing as an acting on this and dentistry from your experience and what you're seeing?
1: Well, I, I think that's a great question, because. To, to to some degree i think dentistry has been paralyzed by this inherent desire to find causative proof we're never going to find that we can't quantify the level of inflammation in the mouth we use this relatively crude but reliable method of plunging this big metal stick in and if we see blood we know there's inflammation and that gives us an accurate representation that there is inflammation Uh, But it's yes or no. It's binary. It doesn't tell us how much. And until we know how much inflammation is produced locally, how many pathogenic keystone pathogens are spilling into the bloodstream, we're never going to be able to prove this. But I think we're missing the boat by searching for proof. Really what we want to know is, does oral inflammation and or the, the oral pathogens that initiate that inflammatory response, does that contribute to the systemic burden of inflammation. Mm-hmm. And there's there's overwhelming evidence that that happens. Right. And the analogy I like to use, you know, no one ever questions blood pressure. We completely accept the fact that you got to get your blood pressure to like, you got to lower it to right. healthy levels. Well, there's no proof that a specific level of blood pressure is going to do anything. But clearly, we accept the fact that blood pressure contributes Uh, to the potential for systemic problems. There's no question we have to put uh, keeping your mouth relatively free of disease on that list.
0: Oh, that's, that's profound. You're exactly right. It's, we don't question that. And I mean, I think that there will be ways and means of, of measuring the spilling over of the inflammatory that mediate those responses in the body at some point. And because of the technology and the way that it's all all going. So what do you think is the one of the largest opportunities that we in dentistry have to truly bridge at this point in time what that oral systemic link means and how we change also our approach as healthcare providers and and at this stage of the game. What's what's your thing that you would say is that you're seeing is our our biggest, our biggest opportunity.
1: I think our biggest opportunity is going to come from acknowledgement of where we've been, and where we've been is really kind of interesting. There are uh, probably about uh, what five hundred thousand dental professionals in the United States, between dentists and hygienists. Not coincidentally, there are five hundred thousand different approaches to the maintenance <laughs> visit. I mean, it makes no sense. It's true. Everybody does it their own way. There has to be a set amount of information we want to collect. There has to be a preferred message we want to deliver. And I went through a phase where, you know, I was very dictatorial and said, you have to do these 10 steps. And and I get the individuality because I think that's a really important piece to dentistry. But I think what we have to do is realize the three or four significant things that everyone has to do. And among those where the opportunity comes in, you know, we there are patients that are at increased risk for periodontal disease. We know who they are, who the risk factors are. Those are the exact same people. Those are the exact same lifestyle risk factors that increase their likelihood for the systemic diseases that we now know periodontal disease can make even worse. So if a tobacco user, if a patient over their ideal weight if a patient with diabetes, a postmenopausal woman, a patient that has sleep apnea, if we know they're already at risk for periodontal disease, if we know they're already at risk for things like cardiovascular disease or cancers, you know, it seems to me we should put those patients on a, uh, an aggressive track of treatment. So the first thing I would suggest, I think we have to start taking a priority patient approach. No more of this cookie cutter stuff where everyone comes in, gets the buff and shine, fluoride treatment, uh, a couple of bite wings, and then an appointment to come back. The first thing we like to weave into it is, is it a priority patient? Is Mm -hmm. it a patient in whom it's, man, it's really important because the stakes are higher. If we allow disease to persist in these people, there's no question it's going to contribute to their already increased systemic risk. The second thing is, we have to realize that while periodontal disease is usually diagnosed on a patient basis or a full mouth basis, there's no question now that chronic inflammatory periodontal disease is a systemic disease with site specific presentation. We have to be site by site, we can no longer Start at the distal of number two. Give it a few good scrapes. Go up the one side, down the other side. Maybe for variation, we'll start on the left side with the next patient. We have to ver- have a very clear understanding of what sites are involved. What's the definition of a disease site? What's the definition of a health site? Of a healthy site. And we have to at least offer patients treatment that maximizes the chance that we're not just going to convert the Disease site to health, but to make it likely that that health is going to be maintained.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, th- I think a, a mistake that dentistry's made over the last at least 50 years is we've always been completely procedure based. Well, they need root planning, we got a root plan. Well, we root plan them, and insurance doesn't cover it for two years. We need to be outcome based, yes. And if we need to sell patients on the importance of achieving the outcome. Because if you do that, and if they buy the outcome, then they're already tacit approval, what's ever necessary to achieve the outcome. Mm -hmm. Well, the cool thing with the so-called oral systemic link is, we can help them achieve a really noble outcome. If you're one of those patients, that's a priority patient. If you partner with me over your lifespan and allow me to formulate a plan to get you free of disease in your mouth and then to establish a dentition that allows you to keep it that way, there's no question that I am going to be responsible for a greater quality and and probably even a a bigger quantity of life in your case. I mean, what a fabulous thing for us to be able to do.
0: It is. And this isn't just specific to to you as a periodontist. This should be the same conversation, almost scripted, Tim. I mean, do you have a do you have something that you could offer people like
1: for for scripting of this? Or, or- I, I will go into every office uh, <laughs> in the United States and tell patients this. But I, I think you are on to something because I think there also has to be, you know, the new narrative of dentistry has to be what our preferred message is, and I think that message has to be. Uh, inflammation in the body is bad. And medicine is clear on that. Excessive inflammation in the body is bad. The mouth is a source of this inflammation. If you have disease in your mouth, you can have it and not even know it. Most people do. As a result, you need to partner. You know, If you want to do everything possible to be healthy, go ahead and diet, exercise, watch your blood pressure, discontinued tobacco, moderate alcohol, make sure you're hydrated and get adequate sleep, but put us on the list. Mm-hmm. Partner with a dental professional, not to get your teeth cleaned, but regularly let them determine if you have any of this below the gum line disease and do whatever necessary to get it to resolve and to keep it that way. Because right. there's no question. There is now no question that that is going to set the stage for you to then be able to sit up at the top floor, look at the ocean and and write a book like I want to do.
0: Yeah. And you are going to do it. You're going to do it. And, you know, I'm just sitting, my brain is turning right now because I'm thinking in in a general practitioner's office, And So when I was a baby hygienist, I worked my time between, I worked two days a week for a periodontist and two days a week for a general practitioner. So I could see it. I could see it when you flapped it. I could see what I missed also in the perio office when they flapped it because we only have, we we have limitations with our instruments if you don't you know get access to it in the way that you guys do this but the the scripting and I say scripting it's is everybody speaking the same language that continuity of the language that you use in an office just one office about anything you know how are you how is front desk back desk doctor hygienist talking about gum disease are you saying it's stage three? Are you saying, you know what is it when you say that you're placing an antimicrobial or you're going to treat it this way? What is the language that is occurring all across the office, but and in, in, in large too, zoom that out. What is everyone saying in the United States that's or and globally that's true that hits the mark on all of this, so we can standardize the approach to what it is that we're doing, even at the most. I say basic level, Tim. Like how we're approaching it as a priority patient. That level,
1: and I think you're right on the money. And I, I think all stakeholders in dentistry have to do this. You know, the message has to be consistent. To where, if if the message is that you know the the mouth is part of healthy living, then that has to come from all levels, from third party, from organized dentistry. You know, for God's sakes, we. We still are, are promoting, uh, Dudley the dinosaur and, and going into schools with the board that has the Velcro with the cavity creeps and the sugary snacks. You know, why don't we start teaching everyone from an early age the word inflammation and the fact that the mouth is a really important piece of the puzzle to keep inflammation to a minimum and to get people to realize that the reason they're coming to see us is is not to get a free toothbrush, but because we're the only people that can determine if this really critical part of healthy living is affecting you. And we're the only people that can devise a plan to not only get it to resolve, but to keep it that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Yes. And then two, also to partner with medicine in ways that we unlike something that we've attempted and, and I don't know that we've done a good enough job at doing that and standardizing that message as well in both directions and communicating that referral where cardiologist let's just say refers back to dentist and dentist goes to it's 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 got to be the symbiotic bi, you know bidirectional relationship between both
1: yeah and the cool thing about it is if if you play that out We deal with patients and we're concerned with their tobacco status. Uh, We're concerned with their weight. We're concerned with their nutrition, with their sleep. Dentistry has a vested interest in that. Medicine has a vested interest in that. We unfortunately have failed to look beyond the mouth. You know, we wag our finger at our tobacco users and say, "Uh, you really got to discontinue tobacco because that's wreaking havoc on your gums. But I think the real message to tobacco users is, look, you know you're at increased risk for heart disease. With your tobacco use, you're at increased risk for gum disease. Man, if we don't aggressively jump on this, it's going to further increase your heart disease. We need you to make some lifestyle changes, not just from the standpoint of your mouth, but doing so is going to affect your overall health. So with these priority patients, we can help medicine. We do help medicine when we manage the risk factors we have in common. You know, for dentistry to get more involved in uh, glycemic control for patients, which absolutely is coming from a public health standpoint, there's no question that dentistry is going to play a primary role in helping Identify patients with undiagnosed diabetes or to help patients with a confirmed diagnosis to better control their blood sugar. Uh, There's no question that's going to continue to become more prominent in dentistry. Like, what an unbelievable service we're doing to medicine to do that. And medicine's receptive. I I work with cardiologists, they get it sometimes more so than uh, us with our typical uh, well honed apathetic approach in dentistry you know medicine is coming to me saying tell us what to do we don't know anything about the mouth but we're willing to learn mm-hmm. like what a fabulous opportunity for us to then go to medicine and say okay here's the deal whenever we get a patient that's a tobacco user that's over their ideal weight or that has diabetes or a postmenopausal woman or if we screen someone with sleep apnea we're immediately reaching out to medicine to say look, we know this patient has these factors that we both have an interest in, in improving. We're going to work hard to do that. We're on the case, you know. continue to communicate. And what comes out of that, it's happened in my little conservative sleepy town by doing this, is medicine then, when they encounter these people, they don't ask them, have you had your teeth cleaned lately? They don't ask them, uh, when's the last time you saw a dentist or hygienist? They've been educated to ask the patient, have you been checked for the presence of gum disease? And that, which is the key question, then they send the patient to me or to dentistry to say, hey, we know you're involved. Let us help you. Like We have no excuse in dentistry to sit around and complain anymore that nobody thinks that what we do is important or to complain from a business standpoint, there's a massive opportunity to collaborate with medicine on the patients we have in common.
0: Yeah. So what are some actions that just general practitioners can take or hygienist or anybody on the team can take proactively to make that relationship, to make that connection
1: with the area of cardiologists or different specialists? Yeah. Great question. I, I, number one, it has to be realistic And in the true spirit of Tim Donnelly, you know, I always start by uh, trying to be as over-encompassing as possible. So I would send physicians articles and, and tremendous diatribes of what this relationship is all about. Now, it has to be, they have five seconds to pay attention to this. Number one, I think you'll find they like, medicine really likes to correspond by facts. Uh, A lot in medicine, believe it or not, they're like the only profession that that still isn't emboldened to the fax machine. We have a very simple letter that we send out. We continue to send it out. We're seeing this patient we have in common. We're aware of the relationship. This is what we're doing. And then it ends by saying, if you have other patients in whom you're having difficulty establishing control of their blood sugar or if you have patients in whom you're having difficulty reducing the inflammatory component or getting their blood pressure under control, we might be able to help Mm. and send them to us. And it's as simple as it's prepared. It's This all happens without my even knowledge at this point in the office. It's automatic. It's in the system. You don't have to be labor intensive. We just have to communicate, start communicating somehow. And I think that basic message is from a dentistry standpoint, we can help you. There's no question about that. And, hey, you know, keep us on the list because since we can help you, you might want to send patients to us to let us alleviate the burden that the mouth is putting on their overall health.
0: Right. That's it's brilliant. And So see, that's another thing that you could offer to our listeners, like that letter, that template of the letter. I'm giving you so many ideas right now. (laughs)
1: Uh, I'll I'll give you some contact information where I have all of that stuff.
0: Yeah, no, and I'm being funny, but this is... This is what needs, what should be, in my opinion, standardized and standard of care, that, that standard that that patient is expecting because they need to know what the consequences are if it's not treated. And if we're not proactive about that, that causes an issue because then they, they don't see the urgency in it. They're like, well, they haven't done anything. It's it's always been this way. Why should I do anything different?
1: And, and another key point, that that's what's urgency of care has been missing in dentistry, and, and we dental professionals have propagated that. You know, we'll we all say to patients, well, you know, it's we'll see how it looks next time. Yeah, I wouldn't worry. Is it bothering you? Nah, we'll see how it looks next time. Mm-hmm. My patients know that uh, getting their mouth relatively inflammation-free is really critical uh, and, and are focused on efforts to get to that point. And I think that's what we have to get to. One of the other things that we've done is we give patients now an inflammation score. We take the number of sites that demonstrate bleeding upon probing divided by the total number of sites that are probed times 100 gives you a very Easy percentage score, realizing that bleeding upon probing is the most accurate predictive of inflammation. So, my patients know when they come in, like their blood pressure, what's my score today? You know, if you're 80%, if 80% of the sites in your mouth have bleeding, you're not good. You know, they realize the whole game is to get that number as low as possible and at least allows us to quantify that a little bit.
0: Yeah. And to, and, to be proactive in measuring that benchmark throughout go and keep it in remission, right? That's it's to, it's to keep it healthy and to put that in and put them in the healthiest situation that they can be to maintain that overall health over time.
1: I I think you're right on it. And let's face it, you know, our beloved pocket depth hasn't done it. Nobody understands it. Patients don't get it. It's difficult to demonstrate, uh, the the percentage of bleeding seems to be a pretty readily understandable concept.
0: Yeah. I love it and that's what that's what they teach in dental hygiene schools. I'm a program director at a dental hygiene school and that's what we teach the you know the gingival index. I'm not sure if you you know use sure. that use that or a different variation different flavor of that. But that's it. Quantifies it for the patient in a way that they can understand it because they don't understand what, what what one millimeter is. They're like, okay, that's small, that's a little bitty. Why do I care about that? Well, it's actually a big deal in the mouth because you got this much space. So to be able to quantify the the amount of inflammation that you can even see, and then I mean, I think Tim, we can talk about this all day. I know we both love this subject, but there's and and the last thing that I'll say and kind of summary and and another point as well is that the disease status of the patient is only what they know about you know we're finding things all the time that we have no idea what's what's undiagnosed yet so it's like we're the finders and the we have responsibility there to create that urgency for the patient in that direction
1: yeah i think you're right on
0: so it's Tim, how do people get in touch with you? This has been awesome. I just want to know more. I just want to be inside your brain. That's not changed.
1: Well, listen, <laughs> the, the next time we do this, let's schedule like 6 hours and we'll bore your listeners absolutely to death, but
0: Okay, we might uh, have to do a I,
1: part 2. I know you are passionate about this as as I am and you know, the whole it, I think you and I are part of that. Uh, growing awareness that all stakeholders in dentistry have to get into the age of serious dental medicine. Probably the best way and where a lot of my resources are, uh, I put together a website specifically to disseminate continuing education material and it's beyondthemouth.com. And at the beyondthemouth.com, if you navigate through the site, you'll find the ability to uh, get to the continuing education. Uh, resources. And then, most importantly, right on the front page, there's a huge, big email me button. And uh, that's, uh, I, I'm at the point in my career, I love the interaction. You have ideas, reach out. BeyondtheMouth.com really represents the efforts of a uh, uh, kind of a loose knit network of similarly minded people. And from that give and take, I think you'll find some really good resources to completely changed the narrative of dentistry and how great we have a format like this and the work you're doing to do that. That's fabiola.
0: Wonderful. It's great that people have a place to go and resources to acquire from all the years of institutional and practical knowledge that you also have, Tim. So thank you for all that you're doing for our profession on behalf of our profession with medicine to advance truly the art and science of what it is that we're doing beyond what we even know is possible right now, because all these conversations create that ripple effect and make a difference,
1: right? No question about it. So,
0: well, you all drop in the show notes, get the contact information for Tim. Tim, it's been a delight. And I think we're going to have to just do a part two. I I would be
1: overjoyed to do it.
0: And and call it something really cool, you know, like, you know, mitochondria or something. Yeah, I like it. I it. (laughs) I know you do. But to our listeners, thank you so much for all that you're doing. If you wouldn't mind, I always ask you the favor, go on to Apple, rate us five stars because Apple Podcasts is what matters. Then go over to YouTube to this particular segment or any of them, like, share, subscribe. We love it. So thank you so much. Y'all keep rocking it out and making a difference. Bye for now. Thank you, Tim.
1: You bet. Thank you.